0: It's good to see you here this morning. I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. As you make your way there, as many of you know, next Sunday is Harvest Day. That is our homecoming. And so I thought something that would be really cool to do is to express our love, especially in light of the sermon we want to talk about uh, I want to share with you this morning. And so here's what I thought we would do. If I can get like two volunteers to come up. Ryan, I know you were just up here, but I should have grabbed you while you're up here. But any two volunteers will do. It's a simple task. Can we just make sure whoever wants an index card gets one? And what I'd love for you to do is to, when you have a moment, just fill it in very simply, what I love about Poplar is, and then fill that out. Or something like, my favorite thing about Poplar is blank. And what we want to do is next Sunday for our homecoming for Harvest Day, we want to post those on a bulletin board and see all the reasons that you love your church. Um, I think uh, I've asked some, some of our Homebound members to, to do that, and uh, I got one this morning already. Uh, they wrote a, a very sweet letter, and so this is just a chance for you to show, you know, what you love about the church. I love my wife. I love bragging about my wife, uh, and do you know what comes to mind when I think about my Everybody's looking at her now. So... <laughs> Do you know what comes to mind when I think about my wife? I'll just give you some adjectives. There aren't enough, but I think of her as smart, as funny, kind, gentle, caring, wise, giving. I think she is beautiful inside and out. She is someone in whom I find tremendous delight. She has flaws of course. For example, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> y'all, I'm not, I'm not that unintelligent, okay? Some of y'all went straight into praying for it. Lord, please don't let him finish that sentence. In Jesus' name. No, she has, she has flaws, but, but to me, those flaws pale in comparison to her glories and her beauties, and and you hear husbands talk about their wives like this: caring, warm, safe, encouraging, valuable, fun, gentle, nurturing, beautiful, full of joy. But let me ask you a question: When was the last time you ever heard the church described with such affection, with such terms of endearment? I have to confess, I don't like people who constantly rag on the church. Uh, There comes a point where it's like, it's enough. We get it. Now, I understand that there are things that are wrong in the church. No church is perfect. But at the same time, imagine if somebody talked as much about the things that are wrong in the church. If they talked about all those flaws and imperfections about that as much. They use the same amount of time to describe all the things they can't stand about your spouse. How long would you stick around? How how much would you take? When we talk about the church, there is a metaphor that Scripture uses of the relationship between Jesus and the church. And I think it's very instructive for us as we're studying what is the church. We, We had one sermon where we talked about the church as a body. This morning I want us to talk to I want to talk to you about the church as a bride, the church as the bride of Christ. And when we come to Ephesians chapter 5, Paul uses the, this, this mystery, this relationship of Christ and the church as a paradigm for how husbands and wives ought to relate to one another. Now, we're not going to spend too much time on, on the marriage part, the husband and the wife part, but what I want us to focus on is what Paul says about Christ and the church and the truths that he shows that teach us something about the nature of the church. And I want to say that it's important that we get this order right because a lot of times if we're not careful, we use our marriage as the paradigm for Jesus and the church. When what Paul does is says Jesus and the church is the paradigm for your marriage, Right? So we have to be careful about reading upward, reading our experiences upward. But instead, Paul says, we see this relationship. In fact, if you look at verse 32, Paul says it's a profound mystery. He says, this mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Okay, So there's this relationship that gives definition not only to the nature of the church and our relationship to Christ, but in marriage as well. And so if you remember, a few weeks back, I said the church is a visible communion of redeemed sinners devoted to Christ and to one another. And we explored that. We've explored that through the imagery of a body. Now we want to explore it through the imagery of marriage. So hopefully you remember we talked about that, about the body of Christ. Y'all remember that? Just, just nod so I'll feel better. Okay. All right. Good. I'm glad you remember. So this morning, I want us to look at Ephesians 5 and examine what I will call bridal blessings. And I want to share with you six bridal blessings that we need to keep in mind when we think about the church as the bride of Christ. Paul makes two points at the beginning of our section in verses 23. In verse 23, he makes two points that that we've kind of hit on, so I don't want to spend too much time only to reiterate them. But the first bridal blessing that we see regarding the church is Jesus is the head of the church. And we've said that along. He's the head of the body. But he's also the head of the church in that he is the groom and we are the bride. And so everything we want to say and everything that has been said really flows from this point. Because he is the head, he is the fountainhead, he is the source of all things that we've said about the church. The church finds its identity and it's connection to him. And it's true that we talked about Jesus being the head of the church as like the authority, right? Like he's the authority. He, makes, he, he has the final word. But when we think about marriage, when we think about head, like th- this, this, there is a sense of authority and structure. But there's a relationship. There's a connection. And there's, there's provision. And we'll get to provision in a minute. But here I want to focus on connection, okay? Okay. Jesus is the head of the church, and in a similar way, a husband is the head of the wife. That's what Paul says, right? Now, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, in verse 23, right? That's the connection. So when we think about it, when we come to church, we come to meet and fellowship with him who is the head, he who is the bride, right? When we went on the men's retreat, I was, I, I was eager to get home. I was glad to get away, but I was eager to get home. I, I enjoyed my time with you guys that went, but I always loved coming home, and I loved coming home to my wife. There, there was a, a palpable excitement that as I got closer to home because there was a unity. There was a relationship. She was excited. You were excited to see me. Okay. <laughs> she was excited to see me, right? The bride was excited to see the groom, and the groom loved seeing the bride, the husband and the wife and so when we think about worship when we think about what happens here in church this is where our groom meets with us yes he meets with us in other ways but it's a it's a different and unique way that he meets with us when you come here on Sunday morning so when we talk about Jesus being the head of the church we're we're when we come we're growing into this connection where we're coming to meet with him you can come for a lot of reasons and they might be good reasons but I hope first and foremost the main reason that you are here this morning that you come every week is because you want to meet with him that you want to see Jesus that you come because you love him and you can't wait to meet him you can't wait to hear him speak to you you can't wait to sing to him And so Jesus is the head of the church. That's the first bridal blessing, that he is the one to whom we are connected. But there's a second one in verse 23. Look at what it says. He is the savior of the body. So the second bridal blessing is that Jesus is the savior of the church. What is it that unites us in him as the head? It's salvation. Salvation through Christ, that's why He's the head. He's our only hope. He is the only way. He is the Savior. He's my Savior and He's your Savior. Now think about this. The the groom loved his bride so much, the bride that he had chosen, that he saved her. Jesus is the quintessential knight in shining armor. His woman was in distress, and he saves the day. Now, that's not something that's, that's popular in our culture, right? We, we, we kind of want to move away from an uh, entertainment like male figures, like male saviors, ma- but... But let's not miss the fact that that there is something honorable about a man who protects his wife and saves his wife, loves and seeks to deliver his bride. He saved us because we needed saving. And we think about that great picture. You remember that story in the Old Testament about Hosea? Do you remember Hosea? The Lord told Hosea, go and find a wife who is promiscuous, Find a wife who you know will be unfaithful to you. Find a wife that you know will constantly go to other men and and seek to be with them and take that woman as your wife. And he does. And it's a beautiful picture of what the Lord does, that he knew how unfaithful we were. He knew how far we were. He knew how much we hated him, and yet he loved us. Us. He loved his bride and he's the Savior. He's the Savior of the body. That's the second bridal blessing. But that leads to a third. When we get to verse 24. What does Paul say? He says, now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in Everything. So there's the paradigm. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. So for the church, what is the third bridal blessing? It's that we get to submit to Christ. The church gets to submit because he's the Savior, because he's the head. We submit to him. And the reason we submit to him is not simply because he tells us, but because he's proven. He has proven himself as a husband worthy to seek, to honor, to respect, and to surrender to. And so as members of the church, as believers, we should all seek to to do his will, To follow his way in life. And how do we do that? We do that primarily through knowing God's word. Through studying it, through reading it, applying it. This is how we get to know what the husband, our groom, likes. What pleases him. There's a reason why there are certain vegetables my wife does not cook. Because she has learned, I will not eat them. We learn his mind, we learn his heart when we read and study and apply his word. The fact that we submit to him means that, that he is the sovereign spiritual leader, but sometimes submission seems like a dirty word. It seems like, like it's all about power dynamics. It's, it's, it's about you must Bow. There is that type of submission out there. But this is a type of submission that that involves recognizing an ordered structure. And it recognizes that there is someone to whom respect is due. It's a voluntary yielding in love to say... I know you love me. I know you have what's best for me in heart. I know that you will do everything within your power to provide for me and care for me and that you would, if necessary, lay down your very life. And Jesus did, right? He has proven time and time again that he is worth submitting to. So this type of submission means that when we submit to Christ, we are bringing ourselves not into a place of slavery, but a place of freedom. It is a freedom that that is, it's freeing because there's no better place to be. Listen, there is no better place to be than surrendered to the Lord. There's no safer place to be. I'm not saying safe in the, and that we don't fight, we don't, in we don't have harm done to us, that but safe in the fact that there is no better place to be in the will of God. And so there's no better place to be submitted to Christ. Do you believe that? Do you believe that there is no better place? To the world, that's slavery. To the world, that's too restrictive. To the world, that impinges on my freedoms. But whenever I hear people say that, you know what I hear? I think of Proverbs, you've never tasted and seen that the Lord is good. The church gets to submit to him as the bride. We get to experience what it's like to be his. And so then, can I submit to you? See what I did there? Can I submit to you that there's no better place if if being in his presence Submitting to him, loving him, enjoying him, fellowshipping with him—if there's n- there's nothing better than being in that place—then can I suggest to you there's no better place you can be at this very moment? Look, I know you've got things going on. I know you could be doing stuff at home. I know that 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 you know it's not a normal. Maybe you're like me. It's not a normal week if you don't feel two weeks behind, right? Some of you had something every night this past week and your your wheels are spinning and you're thinking there's so much I could be doing right now but if this is true there's no better place to be than I want you to know you are in the best room you could be in right now So we we get to submit to the Lord but we as a church submit and we do it gladly it's a joyful submission. Why? Because he's the perfect husband. And how do we know that? What, what evidence is there? When we look at verses 25 through 27, we see two more bridal blessings. Okay? And the number four, the fourth bridal blessing, in verse 25 that we see, is that Jesus loves the church. Look at verse 25. husbands, Love your wives. Okay? How? Husbands, how are we to love our wives just as? When you see that phrase, just as, you might as well put an equal sign. In the same way, this is the bar. This is how we ought to do it. Just as what? Christ loved the church. Jesus Loves the church. He loves his bride. He loves us. He knows all our faults. He knows all our misgivings. He knows all of our unfaithfulness. He knows everything about us, and yet it's true. He loves us. And it's a there's that beautiful phrase in in the Bible in the Old Testament. You linger around the Psalms long enough. And you, you, you pick up on it. If you go read Psalm 136, it's all about this, this, this what? Steadfast love. It's this love that never ceases. It's this love that endures. It's this love that is faithful when we are unfaithful. It's this love that never ceases when we cease. It's this love that never wavers, even though we waver almost on a daily basis. It's constant, unceasing. Jesus loves his bride intensely, constantly. He loves the church. He loves the body. He loves his bride, which means if you are in Christ, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. That's the fourth bridal blessing. But let's look at the fifth. Not only does Jesus love, but love leads to action. It says in verse 25, Jesus loved the church and what? Gave himself for her. So the fifth bridal blessing is that Jesus gave himself for the church. It's Jesus' love for the bride, for his bride, that leaves him to give for his bride. You know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave. God loved the world he gave. What these verses are telling us is that Jesus loved the church, so he gave. And what did he give? In both instances, it's the very best. In John 3.16, it's... God so loved the world that he gave his what? Only begotten son. And Jesus so loved the church that he gave what? Himself, the son. So, so Paul pens these, these stunning words. Verse 25, Jesus gave himself for her. This, this phrase, for her, don't miss this. Because it communicates both advantage and Representation. In other words, not only did Jesus give himself for the benefit of, or for the advantage of, or the blessing of his bride, but he also gave himself in her place. And it's by giving himself in her place that we enjoy the blessings that he has given us. So here again, Jesus loves the church. He gives himself. He sees what his bride deserves. He knows that she deserves death and punishment because they had been unfaithful. They had sinned. They had disobeyed. And yet, what does he say? He could have sent us away, right? He could have Divorced us. He could have said, I want no part in you. You've been unfaithful. But what does he do? He looks at us as his bride and he says, don't punish her. Punish me. Instead, he gave himself because he loved his bride. Now it gets even better. Why? would he do this? Why would he give himself? In verses 26 and 27, Paul unpacks the motives and the reasons. Look at verse 26. Why did Jesus give himself for his bride? Verse 26, to make her holy. She wasn't holy, but Jesus gave himself to make her holy. Look at verse 26, to make her holy, cleansing her With the washing of the water by the word. So he cleanses her. How does he cleanse her? With the washing of the water. And how does he cleanse her with water? Paul says it's by the word, it's by the gospel, it's by what he promises in these pages. That if we will come to him, trust him, trust what he did, trust what he accomplished on the cross, that he took the punishment for our sins, if we would rest in that, that he died and rose again, we are made holy. Our unrighteousness is taken away and we are given the perfect righteousness of Jesus. We are clothed in his righteousness, the the stain filled garment of our sin is removed it was had a crimson stain and what now we have this beautiful bright brilliant white perfect garment of righteousness and he does that because he loves so what cleanses the bride the gospel as it's revealed in scripture and he says that he does this look at verse 27 why did he make her holy? He cleansed her, he washed her by the gospel to, to, to make his body, to make his bride. But why did he do that? Verse 27 He did this to present the church, to present her to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Why? Did Jesus love his church and lay down his life for his church to present her as blameless, as beautiful, as spotless? This this idea of presenting echoes Ezekiel chapter 16. And we we don't have time to go read through there, but if you go read Exodus, I mean not Exodus, Ezekiel 16 verses 8 through 14 The Lord says, I saw you, Jerusalem, and I I I took you, and I cleaned you up, and I clothed you. It says, you were adorned with gold and silver. You ate fine food. And then at the end, in verse 14, it says, your fame spread among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through my splendor. Which I had bestowed on you. There was nothing special about Jerusalem. There's nothing beautiful about Jerusalem, but because the Lord looked on it, saw it, clothed it, he made it beautiful, he made it full of splendor by bestowing his splendor on it. Everything lovely and attractive about this bride in Ezekiel. Is because God had graciously washed her, clothed her, adorned her, and bestowed his splendor. The Lord shared. The Lord gave of his own splendor and clothed this bride. And is this not true of us? Is this not true of the church? That he looked on it, cleansed it, clothed it, adorned it? Splendor. Splendor. In Ezekiel 16... Jerusalem is blessed through his splendor. And then what does it say in verse 27? He did this. He washed the church. He died for the church. Why? To present the church to himself in splendor. Listen, there's two ways. There's only two paths. When you you appear before the Lord Jesus, you're presented to the Lord Jesus, you come before the Lord Jesus. Either it's come and you're adorned in your own garments, you're adorned in your own works, you're adorned in your own deeds, or you come clothed in Christ's deeds, Christ's glory, Christ's splendor. If you come on your own, apart from Christ, what happens is you will be sent away. You are condemned You are sent to live an eternity in hell. But if you trust Christ and you rest in him and he clothes you, now you can appear before him. Listen, there are two aisles you walk down. You either walk down the aisle that leads to the courtroom or you walk down the aisle as a beautiful bride decked out in the righteousness of your groom who loved you so much. Which aisle are you going to walk down? Which aisle will be the one that you travel? Paul says that Jesus made us holy so that we would have a splendor about us. What does that mean? That we would be without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Ladies, think of it like this. The men can't identify with this, so I'm going to have to talk to you ladies for a minute. But guys, listen, okay? Ladies, have you ever gotten ready and you did your hair, your makeup, your clothes, your shoes, your jewelry? Have you ever done all that and left and not been dissatisfied with at least one of those things? Have you, have you ever gotten ready for something and you left and there was not, your hair, your makeup, your, even your body, that you were like, it's all tight. It's all working right now. all saying Jesus Jesus died so that we could have that very feeling before him that we come as a bride in absolute perfection no need to be ashamed of anything dissatisfied about anything not because of us but because of him look at what it says it says that he what he did this to present the church what to himself so so notice what Jesus does he does this gracious work in which we are now made beautiful and we're made perfect and we're made spotless so that he can in turn present us to himself and we can come before him and say, I, I don't have to be ashamed. I, I know my imperfections. I know all those things, but those things are covered. Why? Because you, you, you made me spotless. You made me holy. You made me without blemish. So Jesus gives himself for his bride so that his bride might appear before him in splendor. Jesus makes his bride beautiful. He clothes it with splendor. Before Jesus, we are tattered and, and, and dirty and, and unput together, but, but after Jesus makes us a beautiful bride. And so I think there are many implications that can be drawn from just this bridal blessing alone. Number one, we, we need to seek our groom continuously. In other words, here's what I mean. If he has done everything necessary for us to be able to come to him unashamed, then what's stopping you from coming to him today? Maybe you had one of those weeks where you came to church and you said, you know, I'm going to go to church, but I know, if I'm being honest, he probably doesn't want to hear from me today. He probably doesn't want to see me today. He's probably mad at me. But if Jesus has done what is necessary for us to be spotless and blameless before him, why could we not come to him anytime and all the time? Number two, We ought to seek him unashamedly. I'm not trying to downplay sin. I'm not trying to downplay what you did this week or or how you failed this week. But it does not change the fact that the shame that we feel, it was factored into when Jesus said, I love you. Jesus did not learn about your shame after the wedding and then go, oh, my God. Jesus doesn't have buyer's remorse. That's, that's what, you know, you get married and then you, you date. No matter how long you date, right, you're like, okay, yeah, we get, we get married. And then there comes that moment and you go, I don't, this person is insane. All right? Hi, right, Can you you, 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 you go talk to your, somebody's shaking their head no. Yeah, don't lie. You know, you find out, look at, look at this monster, look at what he does with his toothbrush after he brushes his teeth, right? Or you go, look at this lady, she's got 12 conditioners in the shower, right? That's not, that's not a confession, by the way, right? But, but Jesus is not like that. He, he loves us, he presents us, blameless so that we can come unashamedly, he knows all of it, and yet he invites us to come. But then thirdly, we ought to seek him expectantly. We ought, to, we ought to come to him knowing that he wants to see his bride. I want you to know that if you, if you think for a second that Jesus doesn't want to see you or doesn't want to hear from you, that, that somehow if you were to pray right now, given the week that you had, Jesus would say, uh-uh, I know you're not trying to bring that in my house. no. That's, that's not it at all. Expectantly, knowing that he wants to see you. Maybe it's been a while since you've prayed and read your Bible. Maybe it's been a while since you've talked to him. He wants to hear from his bride. But we need to go on to the last bridal blessing. Very quickly, it's it's simply this. In verse 29. Paul says, no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it. Husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies in verse 28. Why? Because no one hates their own body. No one mistreats their own body. So he is to love the wife as himself for no one hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it just as what Christ does for the church. So the sixth bridal blessing that we see is Jesus provides and cares for the church. Now the CSB says provides, the ESV says nourishes, the word literally means to provide food for with the implication of a considerable period of time and the food being adequate for nourishment. In other words, this idea is not just like Jesus provides one meal and then he calls it quits. This is a nourishing. It is a providing. It's, it's, it's the kind of things that parents do, right? You, you don't just give your kid one meal when they turn three and say, Let me know if you're hungry when you're 19, right? You nourish, you provide. It is a, a lifetime. And so the point is, is if we can maybe spiritualize this a little bit, Jesus is not gonna let his bride starve to death. He gave us a word. The scriptures to, to feast on. And He gave us a supper to remember Him, to celebrate. But Jesus is not a husband who fails to provide for His bride. And we need to trust, as a church, that whatever need arises, our heavenly husband is more than able and more than resourced to meet our needs needs. So if he's the head and we're connected to him what is the two shall become one flesh we're united with him what's his is ours we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that's our resource that's our storehouse There are some things that that a lot of times we think the church needs and we wonder, is God not aware? Is Jesus not aware? We, we've been seeing... For example, uh, uh, so let me issue a disclaimer. I've had these conversations with, with many of you, and this is not me trying to slam you passive-aggressively from the pulpit, okay? I'm not trying to do that. I just want to bring this home to bear on a very particular point, okay? And I had this conversation even yesterday. So again, this is not... I'm not trying to slam you. But I, I, almost once a week, I get a question, how's the search going for a music guy? And first of all, I want to say, we're still working on it. it we posted it again this week. We're seeking. We're hoping. We're praying expectantly. But at the same time, God has not brought the individual if God, if, the, if Jesus provides and cares and nourishes the church, then, then maybe it's just not the right time. Maybe God has a, an individual that he's preparing. Or if we're saying Jesus provides and cares for the church, in light of what we said last week, maybe he's calling some of you to step up and step out and help with the music, with the nursery, with the whatever it is. But Jesus is not lacking in resources. He provides for the church. He cherishes it. He takes care of it. Paul uses this this language of Jesus caring for the church like a husband cares for his own body. I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say that Jesus cares for the church as if it were himself. And would Jesus ever... I mean, Jesus never sinned, right? He, he wouldn't mistreat his own body. He wouldn't mistreat himself. And so Jesus provides and cares for the church because we are his bride and he is a good husband. And so what can we say to sum up all these things? We said that the church is the bride of Christ. But I want to make, I want to make some applications in closing about if we could summarize what all has been said. And the first, the first thing I want you to understand is that the church is beautiful. The church is, is beautiful. Let, let's be more careful about how we talk about church. I'm not saying that we're naive. I'm not saying we ignore problems. Uh, I mean, we could caveat this thing to death. But at the same time, Remember, when you talk about the church and when you talk about other church members, you are talking about Jesus's bride. So the church is beautiful. Let's let's move kind of back, flaws and all. Let's let's move back maybe towards the middle and, and, and take the good, aware of the bad, but 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 understanding the good of of what is happening here and and what this means, that that we are here because of Christ. So that's the first application. The church is beautiful. Let's be more careful and, and wise in how we use our words in talking about the church and talking about one another. But then number two, the church is worthy of love. Jesus loves the church. And I think it's not a stretch to say you should too. You cannot love Jesus and hate the things he loves. So there are some people, they might be watching this later, and they might be saying, this is how it often comes out, right? I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. Well, the problem is, is that Jesus loves the church. And so the church is worthy of love because Christ Loves it. But number three, the church is worthy of honor. Any husband worth his salt is not going to stand there and let his wife be insulted, dishonored, mocked, assaulted, whatever. There is a certain honor that comes when we understand that this, this organism and this institution known as the church is a place that, that deserves some honor, some respect. Just like you respect a husband by respecting his wife. But then number four, the church is worthy of attention. I, I, I think what we can say is that a lot of times we think that, that the church was just a byproduct of what Jesus did. Like Jesus died on the cross, he rose again, and then he looked around and he said, well, look at that, there's a church, right? No, this was a part of the plan of God all along and so when we think about church, I, I think sometimes we, we if, if we're being honest, we, we may not say it, but if we're being honest, we kind of treat church as optional, as maybe not as important. But understand, that's like your best friend coming to you and saying, listen, I love being around you. I cannot stand being around your wife. To me... That's not optional, right? And to be honest, nobody's ever said that. It's usually the other way around. <laughs> but, but it is worthy of attention. It is worthy of, of paying honor, love, respect. And that's why God gives a gives you not just the church as a whole, but gives you Poplar Spring. Do you think Poplar Spring is beautiful? Do you think it's worthy of love, attention, honor, affection, respect, service? All of these are because of Christ. And so my prayer has been in preparing this sermon is that we would all leave here with a renewed appreciation for what the church is. What a beautiful institution, an organism it is. That we, we'd have a new insight and marvel at the church. That we would see the church in a new light. When we were away on the men's retreat, they told us, you know, silence your cell phones, do all those things, you know, try to keep the distractions so you could focus and everything. And I remember I got a text message from my wife and it was just a picture of her and I was telling the guys afterwards something about that separation something changed because we we were separate for a while that, that i had gotten I had gotten so familiar with her face that and when she sent me that picture i it just kind of i was like oh my goodness i hate just i kind of forgot how pretty i thought she was and, and my goal this morning is for us to look at the church and say oh my goodness i had forgotten how beautiful the church is how how beautiful the church is. But not that just we would see how beautiful the church is, but that then we would love the church like Jesus does. How can you love the church like Jesus does? That's what I want you to consider in a time of response. As we take a moment to pray together, ask the Lord, Lord Jesus, how can I love Poplar Spring? How can I show that love How can I reflect you towards your bride? So I'm going to lead us in prayer, and we're going to have a time for you to respond and ask the Lord, how can I love the church? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your word, and we thank you, God, for what a beautiful... God, you do all things well. (laughs) You, You made the whole creation, and it was good. And... Lord, when you created the church, it was good. And Lord, if, if we're being honest, maybe, maybe, we've, maybe some of us here have only ever recently focused on the flaws. But God, the flaws pale in comparison to what the church is as the bride. The beautiful, beloved, blessed bride of Christ. So, Lord, for all of us, how can, we, how can we follow your lead in loving the church and show our love for our church? God, we know you'll speak in this time of response. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.